where's the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on gotodobbs.com now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. Welcome back. It's Balloon Party, driven by Munganas St. Louis Acura here on 101 ESPN. And it is our pleasure to welcome to the program the voice of the St. Louis Blues. You can hear it at 9 on 101 ESPN. Blues and Panthers, pregame 6 p.m. Chris Kerber with us. Morning, Kerbs. Morning, Tim. How are you? I am wonderful. How is everything going in your world, sir? Uh, you know what? Uh, I've got no complaints. Things things are going just fine. I, I do wish they'd move Valentine's Day to August, but aside from that, I'm happy. <laughs> Uh, Curbs, you will uh, not be spending Valentine's Day with uh, the family, I imagine, unless they're coming down for the festivities. Uh, Blues and Panthers tonight, Matthew Kachuk. This is a a chance for Blues fans to to see him now with the Panthers, and uh, what transpired to this offseason was certainly a storyline that was paid quite a bit of attention to locally, but also uh, around uh, the league. Uh, did you ever think that that was something that was close to happening, or was that more in lines of fans and wishful thinking? No, I actually do. I do think the Blues are very active in trying to acquire him. Uh, I, I do think that there were those within uh, the hockey ops department that thought that actually they had a really good chance and were close to acquiring him. Uh, and, uh, you know, I just think when Florida stepped up and offered Uyghur and Huberto, I mean, when you're offering to trade a 115-point player, uh, you, you pretty much just threw the trump card down on everybody. I mean, I, I, in, in your poker vernacular, that's called having the nuts. Nice. And, I follow uh, that. Yeah, and, and that's that, that's really what Florida did there, and it pretty much knocked everybody else out of the competition. So, um, you know, I, the, the one thing, and I, and I haven't really confirmed this on the timing of it, but I know from a salary cap standpoint, with as tight as the Blues are up against the cap, you know, it really became more of a decision of of Letty versus Perron, and the Blues decided to go defensively on that. And I can understand why. Yeah, but but I, what I don't know about the timing of it was how much the timing of that impacted. Because it was it was just before free agency. And, and at that's the time when you could still sign, you know, some of your guys before everybody else gets a crack at them. And so I, I don't know how much the potential of having to sign Matthew Kachuk for $9 million plus, you know, impacted them hesitant to, to get anything else done in the meantime. But it is what it is. Uh, he moved down to Florida. I think he's really happy down there. Yeah. I, I think the family is too. And look, guys, there, there is a certain amount of pressure that is not positive pressure that goes when you are playing in your hometown. You know, and, and as great as it would have been able, and I would have loved to have seen Matthew play here for the next 10 years, um, I could also understand just continuing to chart his own path and, and doing his own thing down there. So worked out for him. Now, the last time the Blues played Florida, he was pretty quiet for most of the game. I, I would not expect that to be the case tonight, so we'll see how that plays out. Blues and Panthers, once again, pregame, 6 p.m. right here on 101 ESPN, Saturday night. 
the debut of the 91-less St. Louis Blues. Super slow start and a huge response, taking a 5-2 lead uh, in, late into the third period. And then the Coyotes bounced back and got that empty netter to, uh, to for the 6-5 to force the overtime. And the Blues get it with Ryan O'Reilly getting the goal. Uh, a unique set of circumstances. Uh, you probably haven't called too many games recently where the Blues are in this spot and selling mode and people monitoring the trade deadline. First time back on the ice in 11 days. And I was anxious to see how they'd perform. You saw the slow start, but then you saw the big response. What was your takeaway from seeing the Blues without Tarasenko and how they played on, on Saturday night? Yeah, you know what? This team has played good hockey when Vladimir Tarasenko wasn't in the lineup when he was hurt, you know, or sick. So uh, I think they're used to that. They actually have a winning record this season with him out of the lineup, and, and they had a losing record with him in the lineup. Now, that would be grossly misleading and unfair to pin it all on him. So I'm not saying that. But but in the end, some other guys filled in some roles, and, and there is some simplicity to the game when, when he wasn't in it. So there is that. And, and you know, back to the, the comment about the team being sellers. Tim, there's really – since 2000, when I got here, it was only, really only 05, 06, 06, 07, 07, 08, that, that the Blues were truly sellers. Mm-hmm. And, and by sellers, I mean they had Kachuk, they traded him, they re-signed him, they had Doug Waite, they traded him to Carolina, they re-signed him, they traded him for Andy McDonald again. Um, and, you know, the Bill Guerin trade, for example, you know, that, that led, I believe, to David Perron. Like, there, there are those kind of things that the Blues were in during that three-year stretch. Uh, and except for those three years, in the last 23, and that includes, obviously, the, the year-long lockout, mm-hmm. I, I think those are the only three years you could say that this team was in sell mode. Right. Yeah, you know? which, and, which and speaks so to some consistency, quite, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, it really, it really is something, something crazy and wild to think about. So uh, the, other, the other aspect of where they're at now, and, and don't try to tell these players they're in cell mode. I think, although I think they, they kind of know in the back of their head. But, you know, this is also a pretty unique experience for Doug Armstrong. You know, most of the teams he's been involved with have been teams that are on the rebuild already, you know, or are trying to stay in that competitive mode. So he, he's, been a, he's been a tweaker of rosters. He's never really been in this cell situation. Now, now here's the flip side of this. This isn't a total cell. You know, I don't think it's a clear-cut thing that you just trade anybody you can get for whatever offers you can get. Because when you've got the players that the Blues still have under contract and you've got the court here, see, and, and I'll go back to this, and I think we may have talked about this last week. You go back to 05, 06, 06, 07, the cupboard was bare. Yeah. So when, with those draft picks that they were getting and Yarmo Kekalena was running the draft, and you're picking T.J. Oshie and David Perron and Patrick Berglund and, and those guys and Alex Petrangelo and, and you're rebuilding, you're picking with the cupboard bare. That's not the case here. Somehow throughout the Blues winning and staying competitive in one of the top teams in the West over the last 10 years, they've managed to continue to build assets, and they've done that with some brilliant picking in the late first, second, and third round that has kept the, you know them having some prospects here. So th- this is a very different situation, too, than it was in 05-06. Uh, and, and that's something I was talking about with Jeremy Rutherford yesterday, and he wrote a piece about it, that I think that there is an assumption by most fans that Ryan O'Reilly will be on the move, and I'm sure it's one of the people in the back of your mind you're talking about, uh, that uh, it just might not necessarily be the outcome when this is all said and done, especially if both parties are saying, okay, well, maybe we can get something done here. Uh, Then this team isn't necessarily going into a full-on rebuild like that situation 15, 16 years ago. Well, and 
But I don't even know that you're going in a full-on rebuild even if you do trade them. Now, to me, you're weighing a couple of things. You're weighing what does the package look like? Does the package include another first-round pick? You know, with that, then you're really thinking about it. Mm-hmm. You know, do, do you think you're close to – like, part of this comes down to can you re-sign him, right? And I don't know, for example, if you're, if you're strapped against the cap, if you can re-sign Barbashev with what he may get. And when I look at the contracts that were just handed out, to, to uh, you know, to a couple of players around the National Hockey League, you know, like like a Dylan Cousins, it's going to be hard for me to see Ivan Barbashev signing for anything less than $5 million on a five-plus-year deal. So that's a hard thing for the Blues to fit. So rather than just let him walk and you're not making it and, and you, you may not make the playoffs, you make that deal. Ryan O'Reilly is a little bit different because if he can be cost-effective, if it can fit, having that presence around speeds up the development of other players. It's a very different situation. So you'll have to see kind of how that part plays out. But keep in mind, Tim, that part of it is the timing as well. You remember when the Blues traded Ryan Reeves to the Pittsburgh Penguins and they got Oscar Sundquist and a first-round pick, that pick that year was the 32nd pick. Well, the 32nd pick was used to take Clem Costin. Now, again, that 32nd pick, is that second round? No, it's first round, but it's late, right? But it, it still took four years before he's even cracking the lineup here. Yeah. Right. And and then, of course, then the Blues eventually traded him. He's having a, a decent run with, with Edmonton, but you can see how they don't always necessarily pan out. So it's what do you do with those other first round picks? And if you're going to make a trade with a team that's competitive for Ryan O'Reilly or Ivan Barbashev, and you're able to get a first round pick, you're talking about the same type of scenario that you have. It's going to be late teens or definitely in the 20s. If, and if it's not even I mean, and it could be 25 or later, depending on how deep of a run the, these teams go. Well, Look, unless you're picking top five, maybe top eight, the chances of the pick that you pick impacting your team in the next two years is really unlikely. You know, the David Perron stories are are, are not common. Mm-hmm. So, again, you're 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 not just if you're trading a guy, you, and and maybe you're getting a prospect, you're getting that pick. You're talking about someone that's probably not impacting your roster for a few couple of seasons, and you've got to keep that timing in mind. Chris Kerber will be on the call tonight. Blues and Panthers pregame 6 p.m. right here on 101 ESPN. Kerbs, always enjoy the conversation. Thanks so much for the time, sir. All right, fellas. Have an awesome day. Thanks. That's Chris Kerber with us here on 101 ESPN.